Hello and welcome to episode 101 of React Native Radio. I'm your host, Nader Dabit. Today on our panel, we have Lee Johnson of G2A. What's up? And our special guest today is Erica Cooksey of Ease. Uh, welcome to the show, Erica. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So for people that don't know about Ease, can you kind of talk about what Ease does? And also um, after that, maybe give us an intro of yourself and kind of how you got into software engineering. Sure, absolutely. So start with Ease. Ease is currently just in California, and we are a technology platform that facilitates marijuana delivery. So we do not, we don't actually cultivate or distribute marijuana ourselves. We're the technology platform that connects dispensaries with users. So basically, we have a whole bunch of dispensaries that act as fulfillment centers. We have a a whole network of drivers that are employees of those depots, which basically operate as a warehouse on wheels. So they go into their car with a case packed full of the marijuana products, all prepackaged, weighed out and everything. They have an app, which is, of course, a React Native app that posts their location at regular intervals to a server. And then when someone places a delivery, our backend computes which driver has the products that that customer wants and can get it to them the soonest. So that's how we're able to get these sub 20 minute, usually marijuana deliveries all throughout the state of California. And yeah, that's pretty much what we're doing. As far as myself, how I got into software engineering, like most people, I went to school for it. I actually, my degree is kind of a hybrid in terms of mathematics and computer science. So I got really into like digital image processing because it's pretty heavy on the mathematics. Through that, I was making a barcode SDKs for a company back in Tampa, Florida. And that's how I got into Android development in the first place, because when smartphones were becoming the new hot thing, everyone had barcode scanners on their phones, and it made sense to uh, to try to do that. So we had a barcode recognition DLL that was written in C++ and some inline assembly. So I ported that to build under the Android NDK, wrote a Java app on top of that, and that was my first foray into Android. When I moved to the Bay Area for working for Amazon, I worked on the uh, illustrious Fire Phone. Yeah, I'm sure that you all had one of those <laughs> and loved it. Uh, <laughs> I had a good time making uh, working on the operating system for that. Moved over to Walmart Labs, so I was doing a lot of their uh, con- more consumer-facing Android stuff. So I did Walmart Pay, just you pay with your phone, and uh, Walmart and Sam's Club Pickup. And then I figured I worked at Amazon, I worked at Walmart, why not go to the Amazon and Walmart of marijuana and moved over to Ease and then started uh, getting into the React Native space and more recently into some of the Kotlin Android stuff. That's really cool. Moving from like all of those different places into like a startup, that's pretty interesting. Like having that really good corporate experience with Amazon and then Walmart um, and then moving to like a startup, like what's the what's been the major difference between like the two? Is it are you kind of liking the new like work at ease? Is it is it like much different? Yeah, it's it's really different. So I think that the the biggest thing is just being in a being in a much smaller company. You can be a much bigger part of the uh, the product development process. So you know, with something like a like a Walmart marketing and product tend, and business tend to operate fairly autonomously. And by the time the product directives get get down to me, it's pretty much completely thought out. Whereas with Ease, uh, and I imagine other small startups, the engineers have a lot more input, a lot more visibility into the higher levels, and uh, you're able to iterate on the ideas a lot more. And then, of course, in terms of a 
a, a marijuana company is so different from anything I've ever worked at because it is still federally illegal. So a lot of the traditional paths that you would normally take, you can't do just because so many policies. So, you know, you, you have any kind of retail product you sell, you want to put credit card processing in, not super straightforward with marijuana. You want to advertise with Google AdWords, uh, can't do that with marijuana. So th- those are the two things that have been the biggest differences in terms of company size and just the industry. So is most of the team like on site there in San Francisco or where do the engineers work? So pretty much all of the engineers are in San Francisco. We have an office in LA, but that's mostly uh, like brands. And then we also have all of our tech support in San Diego. So like as far as getting into like the topic of React Native, is Ease, like were they in a React Native app from the beginning or is it something that they kind of transitioned to? A little bit of both. So when our founder, uh, Keith McCarty, originally wanted to make a proof of concept of ease, you know, like many people will do in that situation, he got some overseas contractors, I think, from the Ukraine to write the initial software. So that's why our back end is a bit of a, a hybrid of .NET and Node.js. And then the apps were originally written by this company, but we ended up completely scrapping them and starting anew. And when we did that, we immediately went over to write to React Native. Uh, so when I started, the company had, a, I was the first mobile hire. We had about five React JS front end devs. We had one full-time iOS contractor and one very, very, very part-time Android contractor who basically just did wherever, wherever you would need Android-specific stuff, like cutting a build. So it just made a lot of sense to do this single-platform solution because, first of all, our mobile team was so small. And because we do have all of these resources on the front end that are on React, we have some shared libraries, like NPM modules that we could share between the two. So that's why we just immediately wanted to move on to React Native. So I have a bunch of specific questions about some of the implementation things. Um, Just out of curiosity, I want to kind of just run over some of those down the road. But for right now, can you kind of just give us like a general overview of what your experience is like working with React Native, especially the fact that you're like an Android engineer by trade before you kind of moved into this role with Ease? It would be super interesting to kind of hear, you know, your overview of like the benefits versus the trade-offs. Oh, absolutely. So I'll back up a bit. I think that, so Ease has two major apps, I guess three if you count the fact that you have Android and iOS. So we have the driver app that the drivers use to facilitate deliveries, and then we have the consumer app that lives in the app stores. So with the driver app, so both of these started out as greenfield applications, you know, single repo. The driver app, I would say, is probably about 85% React Native, maybe 15% native code. Uh, The reason why we had to start writing some native code was because we have some long-running background processes and the JavaScript bridge just isn't especially resilient for those. Then consumer app started out as Greenfield and then uh, eventually on the Android side moved over to Kotlin. So I'll talk about that in a minute. For the driver app, I really like the solution of React Native for a few reasons. First of all, we don't put it in the app store. So code push is, is... huge for us because anytime we want to have an update for the for the driver app if we didn't have code push we'd have to make them re-download it and sideload it every single time you know have a big push from from operations staff and it's it's very human intensive and sometimes nagging them to to get on it so that's a pretty big deal also in an industry where the legalities and policies are constantly changing and they're very very fragmented 
sometimes we'll need to add something to the driver app like right now. And with a very small mobile team, it's really nice just being able to put one de developer on it as opposed to one developer from each platform. So with regards to, to policies, you know, we, we may expand our delivery to area to another territory and that territory might just decide that they have this local policy. And this actually happened in, in San Jose, for example, where the drivers have to collect a signature and scan the barcode on the person's driver's license. So then immediately you need to bring over a dev to do that. And with a really small mobile team, it used to be just two people, now we're up to four. Uh, it'd be kind of a nightmare if you needed to take literally half the team and put them on it. I think that the, the biggest issue, I think, is where we've had to go to those native libraries. That It makes the, the tooling and maintainability pretty difficult, just in that if I want to make a change in the Android native service, I have to make it in quite a few places. And that, that's just kind of annoying. And it also makes a built... But using React Native for Android is, is a little bit difficult in terms of build automation. And then the, the stack traces in terms of debugging aren't especially informative. But what is nice about the driver app, at least, is that uh, we're paying them to use it. And if they get a crash, you know, they don't just leave you a one-star review. They have to call <laughs> the depot and we can get some more information. If I need to go over there in person and troubleshoot it, I, I can do that. More of an enterprise experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that makes me a little less risk-averse for for that application. So for the consumer app, when we initially wanted to make it, a big part of it was just to see, can Ease even get an app in the App Store? Because a lot of times people hear about Ease, they immediately go to Google Play Store, the Apple App Store, they do a search, and then they see it's not in there, they're wondering what's up. You know, Of course, we have web and, and mobile web, but it's pretty important for us to at least get in there. So the first, but the, the App Stores aren't especially transparent about what their policies are in terms of what we can and can't do. And th there's a lot of fragmentation within them like you there's there's not so much an official policy you just have all these random people reviewing them some of them are like offshore workers and someone could just pull you out of the app store and then we'll call them and they'll put us back in and you know it's been kind of a crazy experience so that's why we wanted something where we could iterate really quickly and fail fast and ju just see what we could get in there so that was how that's why we wanted to use react native for at least the first version just submit it to the app stores see what we were able to do. And the initial version was just a sign-up experience. The biggest pitfall that we found after that was I was dealing with some uh, some visual jank in the screens. And so what I did was I profiled it uh, using some Android tools and the GPU overdraw was really, really bad. I was just noticing that it was redrawing the same pixel many, many times. And the more I used the app, the, the worse it would get. So we were using, for navigation, we are using a JavaScript-based navigator at the time. We are using React Native Router Flux. And so I was curious about this. I loaded it into the uh, Hierarchy Viewer, which is a, a profiling tool on Android, which allows you to see the view tree. And I saw that every time a component gets pushed onto the navigator, all of the components behind it are kept in the, in the view tree, which... You know, of course, the GPU overdraw is a problem, but it also breaks accessibility. So if you're using Explore by Touch, if you touch a part of the screen, it'll read all the components behind it. And especially for something like medical marijuana, I, I didn't think that was acceptable. So we completely rewrote it, factored it using Wix native navigator. So that was like version two of it. And then... For, for that, and that resolved your component tree issue? It did, because it's, it's a completely native navigator. So it, it doesn't work the same way. And that, that resolved the accessibility and the, the GPU overdraw issues.
That was probably the biggest Android-related pitfall that we initially fell into. Ultimately, there are a few things that that we, we realized that, first off, the Apple App Store policy and the Google Play Store policies were pretty divergent in that Google Play Store is a lot more permissive. It's still always really iterative in terms of adding a feature and then kind of holding our breath to see if we get kicked out or accepted. I actually have a we have two tallies on our whiteboard for kicked out of the app store for Apple and, and, and Android. But we, that was one of the reasons that we wanted to diverge the code bases. And also we, we did feel that the Android experience for developers wasn't as good as it is for iOS devs. iOS devs are really happy staying on React Native and they really like being able to share code with web. But we ultimately on the Android team for the consumer app, we scrapped that and went over to Kotlin. So we've pretty much rewritten that app three times. So you scrapped React Native entirely? You didn't try to go with like a hybrid native navigator with maybe React Native components in each navigation tree? So I did do a lot of experiments with that in terms of doing some some hybrid apps. And the thing that ultimately kept us from doing that was the tooling that as soon as you introduce a little bit of React Native, it, it breaks so much of in terms of uh, like build automation, unit tests and and just the ability to even use Android Studio to build everything. For me, what would be the game changer on that is if React Native improved their bundler. So something that I tried to do was create a hybrid application in the way that they they tell you to do it when you're adding React Native into an existing native app, but then build it as an AAR file, which is just a, a library that you could load. So you could have these instead of like a React Native to Android binding, so you could then just load that into another app. So it would be like a like an Android to Android binding where you don't have to worry. You know, that, that React Native, the use of React Native is basically invisible to the main app. The problem with that is that the React Native bundler pretty much breaks if there's any third-party libraries in that. So if they fixed that so, so that I could build libraries in React Native that are kind of wrapped in an Android binding, I would definitely, definitely be using React Native again. And like I said, we are still using it on the driver app, and I do think it's the right choice for the driver app. So I'm kind of curious, uh, what was your experience with working with Maps and, and React Native on, on an app application, I guess, of this like scale? Does the driver app have any app impl- implementation, or is it more about passing on like latitude and longitude? Both. So we do use React Native Maps library. It's largely cosmetic, just that when the, I mean, it's not just cosmetic, but when the the driver receives a new order, there's a a React Native map window that pops up so they can see where they're going to. But in terms of the location library that that posts their location at regular intervals to a server, because it's a long-running background process, we created a native module for that. Our main issue with using the React Native Maps library, I would say it's probably our only issue, is just that if you have multiple third-party libraries that use Google Play services, you can run into version conflicts. I added some stuff in the in the Gradle file that just forces them all into the same version, which works as long as all of those libraries work with that version of Google Play services that I selected. But otherwise, the, the Maps library worked really great. Cool. Yeah, I've had some good and bad experiences with the with the map library. That's why I was kind of curious how something like, you know, this significant, I guess a real startup with, you know, you have a lot of people depending on it if, if you had any issues. But most of the issues okay. that I've run into were on Android, actually, to be completely honest anyway. Oh, what, what were your bad experiences? I'm curious. We just had issues consistently drawing different scenes on the map to kind of like pinpoint places where we would like to be. And we were having a lot of crashes at the time. 
I know it's been probably about a year since this was uh, since I was working on this app, though. So I'm not sure if you know any of that stuff has been addressed. Do you know if like the React Native maps is still being maintained uh, by the the React Native community? I believe that it is. I saw that you know I, I saw that that recent big blog post from the Airbnb React Native team, and they said they were still going to maintain all their open source libraries. I haven't been, I haven't jumped onto the GitHub page since then, but I, I assume that that meant that they were still going to maintain it. It looks like it's been updated like up to like a day ago. So, <laughs> Okay, good. Yeah, I actually was curious for you guys, how does, like how did that article impact you, if at all, the Airbnb article? I'm always curious when companies are using it, especially growing companies and they see something like that, like what's your take on it? I think that that one and also the one that came out from Udacity, the, the biggest difference with those is that those are both brownfield apps. And I think brownfield is very, very challenging for us in both of our situations. We, we were able to start with, with a single repo. So I wasn't I didn't feel that it, it was directly applicable to us, especially because it's a large company that already had a huge Android team and a huge iOS team and already had big separate code bases. So I, I just don't think it's really an apples-to-apples apples comparison. Yeah. And I think resources are one thing that people leave out of that conversation sometimes. And you guys went with React Native for the exact same reason that and I went with it years ago was because we had the skill bases on the team to, to do that instead of going and hiring an iOS and an Android developer. Exactly. I think that it's a really big a really big factor is do you have a sizable front end team that's already on React JS? If we didn't, I, I don't know that the decision would have made as much sense. But I love just that we, we always have front end resources that are very experienced with the language that we could rotate on and help us out. I'm curious, yeah, so did uh, did you all look at any other cross platform options other than React Native? I didn't go too deeply into them. Like I assume you're talking about Flutter and things like that. The reason being was exactly that, that we have a front-end team on React.js, and that was a really big factor in, in deciding to go with React Native. Yeah, it's where I think so Facebook's mantra of learn once, develop anywhere, write anywhere, whatever, really sticks. And it, and it really works, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all, all of our front-end devs have been able to jump right into the code base or at least doing code reviews and stuff like that. And the NPM modules tend to just work. So that's pretty great. Yeah, I would say like most of the hardcore like issues that have just rocked like my personal world, like as far as actually finding fixes and being able to actually get things working properly is uh, implementing brownfield applications with React Native, not only because I'm not truly like a native engineer, but just because, like you said, there's just so many things that can go wrong and, and there's so many different integrations that have to happen and everything has to work perfectly and the actual automation of like you know build processes and things like that just is uh, really tough to get right i'm really interested to see if this new update from uh from the facebook team uh, as far as the re-engineering of react native like what that's going to look for brownfield apps um, i'm also curious have you worked with harry tormy at all uh, oh yeah harry's the one who hired me Oh, wow. Oh, okay. I know Harry, and I know he had worked, done some work with these, and he seems to be like super into this whole brownfield thing. Oh, yeah. I think that's that's his talk at Chain React. I think he's he's speaking about brownfield apps. Are you also going to be at Chain React? Yes, I am. going to be giving one of the lightning talks. Okay, cool. And you're going to be talking just kind of about your experience there at Ease? Yep, exactly. Cool. I think it's interesting. You guys 
have challenges beyond the technical <laughs> that you have to find that you have to find technical solutions for, but they're not really technical challenges. They're I don't know policy, legality, whatever, just unique challenges. Yeah, that is absolutely the case, especially so Prop 64, which is recreational marijuana, went into effect January 1st of this year. And we basically had all of these individual localities deciding how they were going to implement it. And some of them just created these laws that were radically different models from the ones that Ease used. And we had to just adapt to make sure that the driver app and everything was, was ready in time for January 1st. So, for example, San Francisco banned dynamic delivery, which is really Ease's bre- bread and butter. So we had to make it so that the same app could handle what we call hub and spoke, where they go to the depot, they have a, a manifest of the deliveries they're going to make, and then they, they leave and make those deliveries. And also dynamic delivery, which is the one that I described, that's a, a warehouse on wheels. And we had, to, we had to do that pretty quickly. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm always interested in architecture as far as software development goes and business logic especially. Mm-hmm. So you guys have some pretty dynamic and rapidly changing business logic. What kind of architecture do you typically put in for especially for these mobile people that are traveling all the time and maybe, you know, disconnected for a moment? Like how do you handle your core business logic in an architecture way where it's scalable and maintainable, but also real time because you guys are changing so rapidly. Sure. So I think the original application saw a pretty huge factor in the architecture as it got bigger. So we started out with the architecture that you you tend to see with a lot of React Native applications where you have a a root directory that's like, you know, one for components and one for containers and things like that. And that ended up just being super unmaintainable because you just end up with, you know, you have this containers directory and it's just absolutely massive. So we re-architected that. So it's a lot more feature-based and then, uh, so that, that was the, the main thing is just making it so that it's uh, it's organized with clear module boundaries, you know, avoiding circular dependencies, avoiding any kind of weird inheritance, making it so that it's very clear that you could have a semantic understanding of what something in the app does and then find it the corresponding area in the code and that you could change it without worrying about breaking too much other things. We used, we used Wix's React Native Navigator, like I said, which is the the native navigation, the the biggest limitation that we found there is that you have to access the navigator through component props. And sometimes you don't always want to do that. That, For example, you might have an action where there's a callback if there's an error and that you display an error message, use the navigator to do that. And you don't necessarily know what component you're in. So I created a, uh, a Redux wrapper for the, for the navigator so that you basically... Um, you have a parent container for all the ones that you register, and that listens to changes in the, the Redux state and then performs the navigation event you know, in, in response to those changes. I have a, a Medium article that where I showed some of the code and, and detailed the implementation of that. So I'm not sh- does that answer your question in terms of architecture? Yeah, definitely on on that on that side. Like I'm guess you guys are using backend wise, you know, ah. you could just roll it out and then push updates or just real-time updates for your, or do you just use like GraphQL for everything or Rust oh, for no. everything? Uh, so the, the, the backend team is fairly separate. Do you have one NPM module that is basically like our API client and web uses that. And then also the, you know, all the React Native clients use that in terms of uh, interfacing with the backend. 
But the back end and front end teams have been fairly separate in terms of, you know, actually doing those implementations. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear how rapidly growing and large, like you explained with your feature base, how teams handle it, because that does become a problem pretty quickly, actually. Absolutely. Recently, my Android counterpart, Justin, started working on some of the node backend stuff just because we were so resource constrained and he did a really great job. So uh, you might see more of that in the future. Cool. I'm kind of curious. Have you taken a look at the new uh, React Native navigation, like version two from Wix? I know they they announced that it was kind of becoming stable recently, but I haven't had a chance to play around with that. Actually, today, I'm actually planning on looking at it. Yeah, that's what we were using. As I don't know if they – have they officially released that out of beta? But. I believe I saw something about that on Twitter last week, but I'm, I could be completely wrong. But, yeah, I think I think so. Okay. But, yes, that, that is what we were using. We were using version 2. Okay. So even with version 2, you're not able to call direct navigation actions unless you're from within a component, unless you kind of build something kind of like what you're talking about, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And that seems to be pretty common with most of the React Native navigators. I know that React Native Router Flux lets you call it from anywhere, from any action. Uh, I'm not, not sure what else does. So you mentioned there were like four engineers or something like that. Is that like, what's the breakdown? Like you're an Android engineer, but you do also React Native. Is there like an, an iOS person and then like other people as well? Yeah, we have two iOS engineers and then myself and one other Android engineer. And none of us had done any React Native. I don't think any of us had done too much JavaScript before we got here. So we all learned it on the job. And so, yeah, that, that's how our team is broken down. And I guess you kind of both, you all jump between the different apps, the driver app and the client app. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes there's a little, you know, sometimes it's a little hectic in terms of a, we'll have a feature roadmap laid out, but then we'll have this some kind of massive change in policy and, and you have to jump off of that and onto the driver app or fix something in the, in the consumer app or something like that. But yeah, we're all comfortable in pretty much all the code bases with the exception that the, uh, the iOS guys don't really dig into our Kotlin stuff. Yeah, so I'm curious how, so we work with JavaScript developers a lot. So, mm-hmm. and it's always the challenge of trying to go from JavaScript to native, but you guys did the other way. What was that experience like? I think that, I picked up on React and JavaScript pretty quickly, and that that made pretty good sense to me. Redux, I thought, had the steepest learning curve. It just seemed kind of strange and and magical to me, especially the the idea of having a a single state from which the the entire application is basically generated from was kind of mind-blowing. So I think that that was the biggest learning curve for me. I also think that for native devs, going from a a strongly typed to a weakly typed language is a bit of a an adjustment, but we did end up implementing Flow, which I think bridged that gap pretty nicely. The what do you call it? the hot reloading? I guess was wonderful. I mean, such an experience. <laughs> yes, uh, especially yeah. for iOS guys. Man, that because that build process takes forever. <laughs> yeah, it, Gradle is as well. It is not pleasant. So that was. I mean, just in terms of the developer experience, I felt that was the, the nicest bit. I noticed that most of the, the JavaScript guys just used a text editor, either Sublime Text or Atom instead of an IDE, which was pretty strange to me. But I started using WebStorm, which is, I think it's, it's the same people who do Android Studio, so it was pretty familiar for me. So I think that those were just the, the main things that it took me getting used to, especially uh, just functional programming in general. But, but ultimately, I really liked it. It was mostly just when I ran into limitations of the, the language that 
that I would get frustrated. But I, I really love the the constructs of it. Yeah, I mean, and now you have team members that can actually jump in and do back end work in there too. So it's, you know, that's definitely the point of it all. So the the type the, the type thing, did you find it liberating or did you find it frustrating? The lack of types. I found it pretty frustrating, to be honest, especially, you know, say that you have some backend request that returns a massive JSON object and you don't really know what you're working with, or especially for something like, like the error objects, not really knowing, am I expecting just a string? Am I expecting an object with a string inside of it? So I found it pretty frustrating. So I really, really like being able to use Flow to make pretty much a self-documenting code. So for example, say that, you know, if, if you're getting a product that goes on the menu, it has a, a price attribute in that JSON object. Okay. Is price a formatted string currency string with a dollar sign on the front? Is it an integer? Is it a double? Is it, you know, how, how, how can I treat that? So that those are times where I'd be looking at the code and wish that, that there were types. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I appreciate it. I was, I'm always curious to hear how, how that transition goes both ways. It's, it's, it's interesting. Everybody has a little different perspective. Yeah, and I think that you'll, it also just kind of depends on what excites you as a developer that I'm just really excited always by, by learning new things and pushing my comfort zone. Whereas for, for a lot of people, that's the opposite of what they want to do. If they're really good at Java, they just want to stick with Java and not bother with all this other nonsense. But I was just really excited by the, the, the prospect of programming in a totally different way. So based on kind of what you've said, just to kind of, I guess, put into to give some insight about like when you may or may not choose React Native, it kind of sounds like you all have like certain use cases where React Native works really well. And then for, uh, you know, other use cases, it, it doesn't seem to be like the the right fit as, as far as like really trying to, you know, use the right tool for the right job. I'm kind of curious if you were to like say like what were the, I know you kind of talked about the trade-offs in general, but like this is for, I guess, people that are wanting to write a new app. Like when would you use React Native based on your experience and when would you just go with writing both a native and an iOS app? Uh, that's a great question. So I think that there's a lot of factors to take into account. One is, are you part of a company that has a well-resourced front-end team that's on React.js? We have that, but also, you know, because we're a startup and startups are just perpetually resource-constrained, I don't think that we had enough, I guess, contribution from the front-end devs just because they have so much work that they need to do on their own. I think I, I would have the caveat, do you have a front-end team that's sizable and on React.js? And do you have at least, you know, one or two people who are willing to devote dedicated time to the mobile app or to bringing some of their code into a, a shared library and things like that, because there, there's always velocity trade-offs in terms, at least for initial velocity when you make that decision to share code. So that's one of the things, you know, do you have an, of course, do you have an existing code base? Do you have sizable Android and iOS teams? Because both of those would make me lean a little more towards native. Can you go into the app store? So if you can't go into the app store, code push is a pretty big deal. And it's not just marijuana that can't go in there. So for example, if you go to the Kentucky Derby, they have you sideload an app because you can't put gambling apps in there. That'd probably be a great candidate for React Native. If I was doing an app on my own, that was probably just me writing it. And I had to write it for both platforms. I mean, no question. I would, I would use React Native if I was just doing some kind of small consulting piece, especially if it's, you know, not too many screens, if it's not really UI intensive, if it's not background intensive, if, 
it's not uh, a lot of multi-threading. I think React Native is a great choice there. Yeah, yeah, totally. It gives a, it gives us a you know a good idea. I guess I guess I have another question. Or is there anything that you, like you would need to get accomplished that like React Native in your experience like wasn't able to to deliver? And the, the biggest thing for us was long-running background services. That that's just all you know more or less. And it's, it's just more or less something that you can't do. And that's like an intrinsic issue of, of the language. I'm trying to think of what, what else that we weren't able to, to do. There are some things like uh, like push notifications, for example, that we were able to handle in React Native, but we had to completely fork the code in the JavaScript side for Android and iOS and then write pretty much an even amount of native code just to be able to, to put it in the JavaScript layer and then uh, when we wanted to do some things like with analytics in terms of tracking if people were coming from a push, that was really difficult. So there, there's things oh, that, right. yeah, we're, we're able to do it in React Native, but at almost like a sacrifice of velocity. I think yeah. push notifications was the big one there. So yeah, to me, it, it's, it's a lot of that is about trade-offs as opposed to being able to do something or not do it. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I kind of agree with you on the trade-off part. There's definitely that's I think that's the entire like that's what it all boils down to is just trade-offs at this point. Um I'm really yeah. curious about like, you know, when the the re-engineered framework comes out like or when they kind of introduce it. I'm really interested to see like, you know, if that really has solved a lot of the issues that people have. Have you taken a look at that Facebook blog post where they addressed um, some of the concerns that Airbnb had and kind of just talked about the uh, the differences in the new re-engineered version that they're that they're talking about that they're going to be releasing sometime soon. So I saw the uh, the post about you're talking about 0.56. I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's in 0.56 or not. To be honest. Okay. No, I, I didn't see that that blog post. I didn't realize that if it. I mean, I saw the post about everything that went into 0.56, but uh, I'll definitely look at, look that up. I didn't realize that that happened. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'm definitely interested in that. I'll ping it to you. I'm kind of interested in that too. I'm, I'm going to be at Chain React, and I know you are too. Well, actually, we're all going to be there. I think Paris Sharum is uh, one of the engineers on React Native. I'm, I'm hoping that in his talk, he's going to be going over a lot of that because I think his talk there is something about, I think it's called React Native Under Construction. And I, th- I really think he's going to kind of go into depth into some of that stuff. So I think it's going to be super interesting to kind of find out more there. We've kind of talked a lot about React Native and stuff like that, but I'm kind of really interested in the culture at a company like Ease. Like in my head, like I'm thinking like people there like are sitting around and they can like you know get high and stuff like that at work and they're just like chilling and like. But like I know it's probably not like that. But you know, like can you talk about like you, you didn't go into a little bit about the differences between that and and in talking about some of the, the the restrictions and stuff, but what are some of the really cool and fun things that you're that you've experienced working there? Oh gosh. I think so first of all I'll say that it's definitely not definitely not people hanging out and getting high. So I, I would compare the office attitude towards marijuana as kind of a similar attitude towards grabbing a beer that, you know, on, on Walmart labs on Fridays, like after five PM a lot of times people would grab a beer and you know, it's but you wouldn't see people at 10:30 a.m. you know getting <laughs> tanked at their desk and i'd say it's probably a, a pretty similar kind of attitude that a lot of it's it's definitely about being productive and that, that's more of an, an after work indulgence in terms of cool things that i got to experience so i think a lot of it is just a, kind of a changing cultural shift 
in terms of marijuana that I think that Ease is more of like a, a lifestyle brand and as opposed to like a, a stoner brand. So when we put up content, it'll be stuff like, you know, what cannabis terpenes pair well with your favorite Chardonnay or, you know, high-end edibles with like really cool packaging and stuff like that. So seeing it brought into a space that like I could share with my mom or my grandma or something like that. And it's not, it doesn't just seem like, you know, a, a bunch of bad kids has been a pretty cool experience. And then also just, you know, being in an industry that's, it's it's just such a wild wild west that you know there is no amazon of weed there's no walmart of weed there's no uber of weed we we don't even really know what those things would look like so the the industry is completely up for grabs and we're really shaping what the the legal marijuana landscape looks like like we're we're working with the regulators and you know politicians and local businesses and everything and it, it's just been so exciting to be a part of that to be a part of something that that doesn't really even exist yet yeah, that sounds pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> Has there been like a lot of growth in, in your company? Like I know the industry for sure there's been growth, but I'm kind of curious how business is going. Oh, yeah. R- ridiculous growth. I, I was one of the first 50 employees and the company has since tripled in size. Started out only having one office. Now we have like three or four. And then we also have like some tech support and social media stuff in Portland. Yeah, we, we've expanded our delivery coverage map. You know, to so many cities, we're in over a hundred cities. So, yeah, I, business is great. You know, and when you're, I'm sure that you guys have had this experience too. But uh, just as a as a mobile developer in uh, in Silicon Valley, I hear so many people's terrible app ideas. You know, the, the, as soon as people find out that you can write apps, they want to pitch something to you, and like, oh god, it's really yes, and you're going to be so excited that I have this great idea, and then you're going to build it, and then we split the money, and yeah, but then they they pitch it to you, and it's terrible. It takes them like 20 minutes to explain to them to, for them to explain to you why this is a good idea, which is like your first indication that it's not actually a good idea. Uh, whereas with ease, you know, they. I heard about the company. We uh, we deliver marijuana to you in under 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, sold. All right, just a good idea. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think that that's really the success. It's just a really good idea. Uh, that's awesome. That makes total sense too. <laughs> is there um, is there like plans to move outside of California? Eventually, I think that that is something that we'd like to do. I'm not. I, I don't know what I'm allowed to say in terms of like the specific roadmap there, but we'd certainly like to. So do you think that we'll see the end of federal regulation on marijuana anytime soon? Because that, that seems like it would just explode the market and, and um, it would just be, you know, a catalyst for a lot of uh, different things there. But I mean, you know, someone that works there that you're probably um, no more, you know, information about like, you know, what goes on, I guess, with politics and stuff. I'm just this is more of like a question that has nothing to do with React Native, but I'm just kind of curious what your take is on that. Oh, yeah. And yeah, feel free to ask me anything about, uh, you know, the marijuana side, not just the React Native side. But yes, absolutely. I mean, marijuana seems to be the only issue that every party can agree on in terms of politics, whether it's because of job creation or small businesses or states' rights or, you know, remedying the opioid uh, epidemic or personal freedoms, like whatever you believe in, we all want legalized marijuana. And the the federal illegalities make just make it really easy to so it makes it makes it very difficult to operate as a legitimate business especially because of the the banking restrictions that really come into play at the federal level so i just 
it, we seem to be moving more and more towards it. States are legalizing it. Senators are speaking out in favor of it. You know, Jeff Sessions is the big opponent of it, but I actually think that that's the push that it might be the best thing that could happen because that could be the push to make it federally legal instead of operating in this gray area where everyone's kind of okay with it, but not really. But there's nothing pushing anyone to to really make that big step towards federal legalization. But I do think that we'll see that soon. And that's why I wanted to get in on ease you know, before the market blows wide open, just because I, I saw them as a company that's getting a huge amount of traction. Yeah, I don't see how they cannot federally legalize it. I guess the biggest fear then is what are they? What kind of sanctions do they put on it once they do? You're right. Yeah, exactly. And it's still, you know, the the regulations are so fragmented. So you know, you you could have three cities that are adjacent and one of them will just decide to ban all commercial cannabis activity, including delivery. You know, so it's still like, it'll still be something like alcohol where I can't just set up a a lemonade stand on the side of the road and sell whiskey to passerbys. You know, it's it's still going to be a a tightly regulated market, but I do think that once it becomes legal at the federal level, we'll just have a much easier time. Like I know some other people who, and luckily we don't have this problem at ease, but I know some other people who are at other cannabis businesses and they get paid in cash because they can't even, the companies can't find a, a someone who will do, who's willing to do the payroll. Oh yeah. I've heard that for sure. Like they can't even deposit money in some cases in their bank because it's like not FDIC insured or something like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's just crazy. Like they should totally just. I don't know, at least pass some regulations that will allow people to do just normal everyday business if it's legal in the in the state. It's just crazy. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think we've covered quite a bit today. Is there anything you wanted to talk about before we start wrapping it up and getting to the picks? No, I think I think that pretty much covered it. All right. Well, uh, Lee, I'll start with you. Do you have any picks today? When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40 gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control or Docker containers, who doesn't love that, encrypted disks and VPNs. Plus they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like backups, node balancer, and Longview to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code REACTNATIVE2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is REACTNATIVE2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com careers to see their available positions. Yeah, I'm going to, well, I do have one more question, and that is, do you still have a Fire Phone? Do I still have a Fire Phone? Um, oh, man. I did not buy a Fire Phone. Uh, though they, they did try to sell them to us at a pretty deep discount, but I, I did get to play with one for for a little while. I do watch the Fire Phone subreddit pretty religiously. I get really excited when I hear about someone having one. That's pretty awesome. I was just curious <laughs> with your experience. but uh, So, yeah, my pick is like Captain Obvious. Last week was... Fourth of July, so it's kind of a holiday. So some people may have missed the 056 uh, that actually released on July 4th, which I guess they did that on purpose, some kind of birthday present thing. So 056 is released if you haven't checked it, and there are a lot of changes. There's 818 commits in this thing. So um, 
lots of things, lots of Android specific things. You know, a lot of people in the React Native community have issues around Android specifically. There's a lot of Android updates to building and libraries that they're using and stuff. So definitely go check that out and read through the change law. Hi, Erica, do you have any picks today? Yeah, my pick is the uh, the Amazon Fire Phone. No, I'm just kidding. My pick is, uh, you know, I'm going to go with an, with an Ease product. We have a, a pet product that has no THC in it. It's the Forever Pet CBD Drops. And my dog is, is getting a little older. She has arthritis in her hip. And it's been, like, magical for her that I could give her some, you know, that she, uh, when, it, when it flares up, she has trouble walking on, on the you know, the side of her body that, that she has the hip arthritis. And I just put a little bit of the, the pet CBD in my hand. She licks it up and it's like, boom. It's like the biggest thing that I found in terms of like marijuana actually positively impacting, you know, something that I use it for. So, so that'll be my pick, the Forever Pet CBD. Very cool. My pick, I have two picks actually. My first pick is a book. And this book is was probably a pick of mine like a year or two ago. And I'm just now listening to it again. And it's just like, I think it's my top five favorite books of all time, maybe. So it's called A Guide to the Good Life, and it's about Stoicism. And it's basically a modern, I guess, translation of what some of the ancient Stoic authors kind of had written, but kind of like translated into more of like a modern take on it, I guess you'd say. And it's actually been really cool. And it really is, uh, it's probably my favorite book on Stoicism. And it's written by William B. Irvine. And I would actually suggest even getting the audio version because the audio version is actually really, really well done. And the the narrator is fabulous. So check check, uh, that book out. And then my other pick is a blog post that is going out on Tyler McGinnis's blog. And it's about building chatbots with React, uh, Amazon Lex, Lambda functions, and AWS Amplify. So um, with Amazon Lex, you can create chatbots that interact not only with text, but also with voice. So this tutorial kind of walks through how to build something out from the ground up using React and all these other different services. So that's it. I guess that wraps up our show. Erica, thanks for coming on the show today on episode 101. All right. Thanks for having me. I look forward to meeting you at Chain React. Yeah, it'd be great. Well, um, that wraps up this episode. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next week.